If you have your Bible, come with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and uh, we're going to begin in verse 4. And these are the words of Jesus here. And he says to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. One more passage of scripture and then we'll jump into the message uh, over to the book of Ephesians and chapter 5. Uh, and we'll pick it up in verse 25. And the context for this passage is marriage. But we're going to see how that connects to Jesus and the church. The Apostle Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are, his, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones." I want to speak to you today from the subject, the blessing of being. Why don't you write that down in your notes? Have you, um, have you ever wondered like what Jesus is doing right now? I was thinking about that question this week as I was preparing this message. After all, Jesus is the one that we worship. Uh, last week, as we kicked off this series about being vitally joined together, we made the claim that the Lordship of Jesus is the basis for Christian community. And so if we're going to live under that claim that Jesus is Lord, I think it's a worthwhile question to ask, what's Jesus up to right now? Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, it says this, but this man, that is Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, I love that, he sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So we gather from this verse that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, we gather from this verse that Jesus is in a time where he's waiting for all the enemies of God to be subdued under his feet. So one question then is like, what does that waiting look like? Is Jesus just kind of hiding out in heaven like, like the big boss who never comes out of his corner office? What's it like? Well, of course, it's not like that. First of all, when it comes to subduing his enemies under his feet, Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection has already dealt the destructive blow to Satan, to the powers of darkness. He went first. Jesus made a way for us to follow. Second of all, uh, Jesus is seated in heaven, yes, but he's also sent his Holy Spirit to us. He sent us his Spirit who leads people to him, who convicts us of sin, his Holy Spirit um, draws people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit inhabits and empowers everyone who believes in Jesus. So yes, Jesus is there in heaven, but he's also very much right here, right now. Third of all, Jesus is operating as our high priest. He prays and intercedes for us constantly, unleashing the power of the finished work of his cross over our lives. 
So needless to say that the waiting, which Hebrews 10 talks about, is a very active waiting that Jesus is engaged in right now. So how would we summarize all of this activity of Jesus? Well, I think we might just call it what he calls it. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus, he described what it is that he would be doing between the time of his ascension to the Father in heaven and his return. And he said to Peter in that verse, I will build my church and the gates of Hades. Another way to say that is just the powers of evil will not prevail against it. I will build my church. That's what Jesus said he'd be doing during this time. The subduing of his enemies, the sending of his Holy Spirit, his intercession for the saints, all of that comes under his prevailing commitment to build his church. And he is absolutely prevailing. Notice his position during this activity of church building. What's he doing? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is sitting down. I mean, he's the only person who can get that much done from a position of being seated. So Jesus isn't pacing. Jesus isn't panicked. He's not worried. He's never nervous. Jesus has prevailed. He is prevailing. And he will continue to prevail in the building of his church. Which brings up another question for me specifically. And that question is, what does the building process look like? What does it look like? What's involved in Jesus building the church. Thankfully, the New Testament gives us all kinds of scripture about what the process looks like. And what we find is that it is much more communal than it is personal. In other words, it's much more congregational than it is individual. Or as our passage in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 says, that Jesus is going to present to himself not just a bunch of individuals, a glorious church. He's coming back for a sanctified church, not just sanctified individuals. I love that idea that Jesus is preparing a present for himself. And that present is a glorious church. The word glorious means distinguished. It means splendid. And that is what Jesus is preparing for himself. And our passage in Ephesians 5 also tells us how Jesus is building this glorious church. And I want to take a moment to unpack some of those thoughts because it's foundational to the main point of the message today. So let's look at it. And just a bonus for all of you husbands, everything that we see modeled by Jesus here is a great example for how you and I can edify and build up our wives. So dudes, pay extra special attention. It says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So here's the foundation for how Jesus is building his church. Everything else rests on this. He builds the church by loving the church. Love is how he builds. Love is not just why he builds, but love is also how for his love is action. He loved the church and gave himself for her. He gave up his life on the cross. He gives his Holy Spirit. He gives his attention and his care. He builds with love. With love, he welcomes broken sinners like you and I home. With love, he heals the wounds of the church. With love, he corrects her failures and her missteps. With love, he adorns his church with strength and honor and beauty. He builds with his love and his love is never ending. We could never 
ascertain the end of his love because it's endless. We can't even know the beginning of his love. Jesus has had his affection set on the church from the moment she was a creative thought in his mind in eternity past. He has loved her through every stage of her formation, which brings us to how uh, he builds the church, how he forms the church out of that place of love. Verse 26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by his word. So we break that down just a little bit. The word sanctify here, it means to set apart. And that's what Jesus is doing with his church. He's setting the church apart. Uh, he doesn't want us to be conformed to this world. He wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So he wants us not to think like the world, but to think like him. He's, set, he's making us holy, sanctifying us. And he's also cleansing the church. That word cleansing can mean to purify and it can also mean to prune. Uh, it's the same Greek word that Jesus uses in John chapter 15, that passage that we read that's translated about pruning the branches. And when Jesus says, you are clean uh, because of the word I've spoken, that, that's that same Greek word right there. So, so we see right here, if we just summarize this idea of sanctifying and cleansing the church, we can, we can see that Jesus builds his church by perfecting his church. In other words, and you know this, Christianity isn't just about getting saved. It's not just about having a moment, an encounter with Jesus and then hanging out until it's time to go to heaven. No, Jesus wants to do a whole heap of work on the inside of us to make us into the glorious church that he desires us to be. That's the process of perfecting. How does he do it? He does it with the washing of water by the word which is kind of like a fancy way of saying that Jesus knows exactly what to say to us in order to help us get better. His word perfects us. Again, in John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Every branch in me that bears fruit is gonna get pruned. You are already clean or pruned because of the, why? The word that I've spoken to you. So Jesus prunes with his word. He cleanses with his word. Now notice a couple of things about that. Number one, it's the fruitful branches that get pruned. So Jesus rewards fruitfulness with pruning. He rewards fruitfulness with further instruction and correction for his church. In other words, the pruning of Jesus isn't often gonna sound like, hey, you're doing a really horrible job and you need to shape up. No, the pruning of Jesus is gonna sound like this is where you're productive. This is where you're fruitful. Here's where it's a bit overgrown or lopsided or uneven. And we just need to, we need to prune those areas back. And he does that so that we can be more and more fruitful. It's him perfecting his church through his word that confronts and corrects. Jesus is the master builder of his church. So loving and dedicated to us being built up. This is how he did it for the 12 disciples. You can see numerous moments in Jesus's relationship with the 12 where they had some, uh, some areas in their lives that were, they just weren't a great reflection of kingdom values, but rather than just writing them off or, or leaving them behind, Jesus would prune them with his word and shape their mindset about how they understood him as the king and the kingdom that he was ushering in. This is how Jesus still does it today. This is one reason why we have received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the words that Jesus has spoken so that we can speak them to one another, perfecting the church and allowing room for greater fruitfulness. That, by the way, is discipleship. 
And it's the practice, it's supposed to be the practice of every single one of us, not just pastors, not just people who are in formal leadership roles, but Jesus perfects his church through all of us for each of us. Okay, let's look at one more way that he's building the church in Ephesians 5 and verse 29. It says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Another way to say that is that Jesus is providing for his church. So he perfects and he also provides. Jesus is the provider for his church, making sure that she has everything that she needs. What does he provide? He provides strength. He provides opportunities. I mean, think about all of the opportunities that Jesus has provided for us as a church so that we can become more like him. I mean, those are not things that we uh, necessarily bring to ourselves. Those are opportunities that Jesus provides because he cares about the upbuilding and the edification of his church. He provides spiritual gifts. He provides so much resources. Jesus provides everything the church needs to be what he's called it to be. He said in John chapter 14 and verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus has come to us by his Holy Spirit because he didn't want to leave us as orphans. And that means that Jesus makes sure that his church is not powerless, not possessionless, but rather the church has everything she needs to be all that Jesus is calling her to be. And Jesus does this. He provides for the church, for lack of a better word, instinctively. In other words, it's, it's automatic for him. He, he, he does it by his nature. In the same way that scripture says that we want to nourish and cherish our own selves. We want to provide for ourselves and we want to nourish ourselves. It says Jesus treats the church in exactly that same way. It's never a question for him. Jesus wants to do it for his church. Therefore, when the world is going through calamity, when it feels like stability is a rare and precious commodity, should the church fear? Absolutely not. We have Jesus as our provider. Jesus is the one who is building the church. Will we lose some stuff during times of trouble? Probably. Are things going to shift and change during those kinds of times? Absolutely. But that's the pruning. That's the perfecting. Jesus is, is pruning things from the church so it can be more fruitful. I mean, we better believe that during this time of pandemic, during this outcry for racial justice, Jesus is perfecting his church and pruning things from his church that stand in the way of greater fruitfulness. And he's also providing for his church, making sure that we have what we need to continue to thrive and flourish as the body of Christ in the earth. Friends, we are well cared for with Jesus as our builder, so we won't be fearful. We'll be expectant. We'll be hopeful. We'll look to him and we'll look to one another as members of the body, as Jesus continues to build us into his vision of a glorious church. Which brings us to my primary point today. This is the big point that I really want us to get in our hearts. That if Jesus is building his church, if that is his undeterred focus, and I believe scripturally we can see that it is, then that means that our focus must be being the church. If Jesus is building the church, then I've gotta be focused on being the church. Because the blessing of being perfected and provided for and made glorious is in simply being the church that Jesus is so committed to building. By this, I mean that you and I, before we're called to be involved in the building, 
we're called to be committed to the being. And it's not a first this, then that. The two coincide with one another. They overlap one another. But the building always has to be preceded by the being. You see, anything that has purpose, find anything with purpose and you will, you'll see very quickly that it has to be what it is before it can do what it does. All of the parts have to be in their rightful place and they have to be integrated with one another. They have to function with one another before it can fulfill and function in its purpose. And the same is true for the church that every member has been called by Jesus to, to their place in the family before they can effectively be a part of bettering the family. Jesus is the master builder and yes, he has gifted every single one of us to make a difference and to have an impact. But if our desire to build exceeds our desire to be, then before long, we won't even know the thing that we're building and nobody stays committed to a project like that. But if our passion, the great passion of our life can be to belong to the thing that Jesus is building, then we will never lack a reason to want to serve and give and sow in whatever way we can to help. I love Psalm chapter 27 and verse 4, where David says, one thing I have desired of the Lord. There's one thing that I have desired of God that will I seek. In other words, it's not just something I want. It's something that I actively pursue. What is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Bring that poetry, bring that scripture into a New Testament context where we understand that the household of God is not some ancient temple in Jerusalem, but the household of God, the New Testament said, is the people of God. It's the church. It's you and I. So we understand what's being said here prophetically through the scriptures is that the highest desire of our lives is to be found in the brotherhood and sisterhood of the church of Jesus Christ. You see, you and I, we can't afford not to be his church. Not with everything that he does to build her up. Why would we ever want to miss out on that? Does Jesus provide for people who are not connected to his body? Absolutely. Jesus made it very clear that God in his mercy is kind to the evil and the unthankful. That he makes his sun shine on the evil and the good, sends his rain on the just and the unjust. So God provides for all people because he loves all people and wants to lead all people to himself. But if I'm honest with you, it's not really the provision part that I'm most concerned with. It's the perfecting part that I'm most concerned with. That's why I need, personally, like I as a person, I need to be in the body of Christ. I need to be the church because that's what Jesus is building into something glorious and distinguished and splendid. And I want, I need to be in on that. I can't afford not to be. Do I want to become more like Jesus? Then I need to be the church that he's building. Do I want to be less prone to sin, less prone to give in to temptation? Then I need to be the church that he's building. Do I want to see sins like racism and injustice come toppling down in the world? Well, then I need to be the church that he's building because the potential for all sin lives on the inside of every one of us as part of our fleshly fallen human nature. And if something is going to come toppling down in the world, it first needs to crumble in the church. You see, we all need to be committed to being a part of the body of Christ where Jesus is actively at work in transforming us into that glorious vision. But if I'm not really in the thing that he's building, 
then I won't receive the blessing of, of simply just being there. The blessing that comes of just being present in what Jesus is so given to build. You see, we need to understand that he's so committed to building and bettering his church. And that's good news, but it becomes great news when you and I actively choose to be a part of it. If I want to get better, then I first just need to get better at being planted in the vine, better at being connected to the body. You see, Jesus said that all fruitfulness is a result of abiding, abiding in him, and as part of that, abiding with one another. The two are inseparable from each other. Abiding with one another is often how we get perfected through the, through the word, because remember the Holy Spirit reminds us of the word and he speaks the word through us to us. And this is the point of great challenge, right? Like this is why nobody says, wait, hold on a minute. You mean, you mean I just, just need to be the church? That's it? Well, that's easy. I can do that. Nobody says that because being the church means being joined together with other people. And people, man, I mean, let me tell you, people are tough. I know. I'm a person. Like I'm prickly at times. I am challenging at moments. I am downright tiring at seasons. Like not even just, I'm tiring for seasons. That's the kind of person I am. And it's not just me. Like you ask your friends, ask the people that you're in your neighborhood group with, that you're developing relationship with. And if they will be honest with you for a moment, like you are still on the journey, my friend. You are still, you're still figuring it out. And that's to be expected. And that's why Jesus is perfecting his church because we are all imperfect. But guess what? The only way to be perfected is to allow Jesus to use other imperfect people to point out your imperfections. I know, it's a riot. It's hard. But it's worth every ounce of difficulty times a thousand because it means that Jesus is building us. It's evidence that we belong to the thing that Jesus loves so much that Jesus gave his life for. Show me a Christian who never has any relational tension whatsoever with other Christians, and I'll show you a Christian who's not committed to being the church. You, you can't be a Christian and not be the church. It's just not going to go well for any one of us long term. But show me a Christian who can get called out on this attitude or that behavior or that mindset and yet still remain committed to abiding in Christ and abiding with other believers. And I'll show you somebody who is experiencing the blessing of being. So let me just give us two takeaways to, to run with today, and then I'll be all done. And I just want to say that the context for everything that I'm talking about, the blessing of being, our context here at C3LA is, is neighborhood groups. Like you might as well just sub that out and just say the blessing of being in a neighborhood group. Like that's what we're talking about. So filter these two takeaways through that context for us here in our community. Number one, don't let anything ever stop you from being the church. Don't let anything ever stop you from being the church your whole life long. No matter how challenging some moments might be, do not let anything ever stop you. I'm talking about relationship. In John chapter 17, when Jesus prayed for his disciples, he prayed that they would be one with each other just as much as he prayed that they'd be one with him. And that's because Jesus knows that the devil actively opposes the, the unity, the oneness of the church. He will use anything we give him to cause division. He'll, he'll use anything that we hand him 
to tear us apart from the body or to create divisiveness in the body. And so that's not hard to overcome. Here's the solution. Let's just not give him anything. And the way that we do that is whatever you would be, whatever you would have the propensity to give him, just give the person the exact opposite of that. So if you have a propensity to give the devil an offense that he can use to cause division, instead of giving him the offense, give the person forgiveness. If you want to give him apathy, instead give the body your energy and your effort. If you want to give him disagreement or disappointment, instead give them understanding, give them love that assumes the best and believes the best. And through this, we uphold our being together and the blessing is right there in the being. Second takeaway and I'm all done. We gotta make sure that we grab a hold of this, that being is always God's prerequisite to building. God is always more focused on, on where you are and who you are than he is in what he's necessarily doing for you. The being has to precede the building. When I talk about building, I'm, I'm referencing your future and the great plan that God has for your life and the purpose that God has for you. All of that has to be preceded by us just committing to be the church more than it does us building the church or being built by the church. God cannot nourish a disconnected limb and he cannot empower disconnected limbs either. And without the empowerment of Jesus, all of our futures are so small. And it's not just about God building you. It's about God using you to build others. But both those realities have to rest upon our commitment to be in the living organism that Jesus loves so much that he gave his life to bring forth and that he is building right now as he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven.